Okay. So what do we want when we retire? That's the question that I was grappling with at the beginning of my, my, my research journey. And um, the answer was actually fairly simple to, to get to. If we look at the statistics from the um, Association for Savings and Investments, ASISA, um, they published, sorry, I don't know if I should just wait a little bit for some stragglers coming in. What is it that we're looking for um, in retirement? This is the question that I started trying to answer and it was quite easy to find, um, to find an answer. If you look, the statistics for the Association for Savings and Investments indicate that over 90% of us probably want a living annuity. But why? What is it about living annuities that makes them so attractive? Okay, there's a lot of um, narrative around potential reasons for this and I've listed a few here in this slide. Unfortunately um, for me, uh, for those that attended David and uh, Donny, David Gluckman and Donny Fonsell's presentation yesterday, there's some crossover with that and then obviously with, um, with John's discussion in a few minutes. So the first one is um, ownership. There's a sense of ownership that you get in a living annuity. You own um, the investment and you can do a whole lot of stuff with it. And the second one is that it's pretty easy to understand actually. Um, living annuities are, you give someone money, you earn an investment return, you take off some um, income benefits and at the end of the day you've got something left for your dependents that you can, or your beneficiaries that you can um, leave behind. Then there's also some flexibility in terms of and options that you can exercise. You've got um, investment choice, so you influence the outcome um, in terms of the, the benefits that you're going to end up getting through choices that you're allowed to make um, in, the, in the investments, as well as con um, drawdown flexibility. So you can decide, given the certain amount of money that you've got left over, how much you actually want to, to take as an income. So there's a whole lot of narrative around flexibility and ownership and of course this legacy benefit that you end up um, being able to provide for your, for your beneficiaries. But what does it mean in terms of benefits? There's a whole lot of stuff on the left that's um, cool to look at and we can tick boxes and market them like crazy. But on the right, the benefits are actually all outcomes that are generated by the actions that are happening on the left-hand side. So the left-hand side is all about control and the right-hand side is actually uncertain. While I, I know immediately what my income is going to be this year given the constraints that I have and those constraints are the amount of money that's left in the pot and um, the minimum and the maximum drawdown rates that I'm allowed to exercise. Two and a half percent is the minimum and 17 and a half is the maximum. I know what my income is going to be this year with those factors in place but I've actually got not much clue around what my income is going to be in five or ten years time. So I suggest that there's a difference between what we need in terms of the benefit outcomes and what it is um, that we actually want in terms of all these fancy bells and whistles in terms of the options that we're allowed to exercise. And what I tried to do was think about how is it that we can focus a little bit more on the benefit side of, of, of this equation to give a lens and a perspective that enables us to make more informed decisions about what we're actually trying to do in the living annuity. So we started looking at the benefits. The main benefit that we have is the income benefit and similar to Donny yesterday, strangely enough, I'm considering a male age 65 with a million rand to, to invest at retirement. I've introduced a concept called the initial drawdown rate and the, 
or the IDDR, and this is the, the, the drawdown rate that sets your starting off income. I've created a few parameters in my, my paper or discussion on this matter to say that you'd want the benefit, your income benefit to increase over time. So let's say 6% per annum. Yesterday, Don used a 5% escalation. Um, and there's some investment return assumptions because I need to know what my asset's going to grow to so that I can um, draw down the, the income benefit. Okay. And the first scenario that I considered was my starting um, drawdown rate is the maximum drawdown rate of 17.5% that I'm, that I'm allowed. So I start off with an annual income of 175,000 Rand in retirement, and we can see that it ratchets down pretty quickly because the, um, we've, we've reached the maximum, we're eating into the asset, the returns aren't good enough to, to, to get us out of this hole. And um, this might be something that's useful for someone who thinks that they've only got, let's say, five, you know, a short, shortened life expectancy. But um, a lot of us would probably suggest that this isn't a suitable income stream. So let's choose a different initial drawdown rate, and I chose 7.5%. So if we look at the 7.5% um, initial drawdown, you start off with an income of 75,000 Rand per annum. It increases here at the 6% per annum assumption that I've got, and then it caps out at the maximum drawdown rate at age 80, um, and there's a 61% chance of this male age 65 reaching age 80. The purists in the room will want to know, well, how do you get that? Well, that's, that's based on PA90 minus 3 with the three-year adjustment um, on the age. So there's still a pretty good chance that I'm going to run out of money, 61%. Well, my benefit's going to start reducing. So I want a, a more sustainable um, uh, drawdown rate, so I choose 6%. Okay, so 6% um, ends up capping out at 93, and um, we've got a 15% chance of reaching uh, that age. So maybe uh, the odds are a little bit more favorable because there's an 85% chance that I'm going to have enough money based on all of these assumptions, of course, um, to, to survive. Now, there's a whole lot of drawdown rates that are at the lower end of, of the scale, the two and a half upwards, um, where you wouldn't end up capping out your income benefits. So there's a whole lot of, I've called them equivalent drawdowns, where you're going to get um, a 6% escalation indefinitely until you die. And then using the marvels of Excel, I'm allowed to do some formula and goal seeking and discover what is the maximum initial drawdown rate that will give me that profile. And I've called it the maximum equivalent initial drawdown rate. And for this male age 65, it happens to be just under 5.2% using PA90-3 and all my investment assumptions. So strangely enough, it will end up being the same for a female age 65 because um, even though there's lighter mortality, there's an end point. Everyone's assumed to die actually at 110, and because I've rated it down by three years, it means 113 is, the, is when, when both males and females are all gone. So, um, so what does this tell us? I mean, it tells us the income that we can get for different drawdown rates. I don't think it's particularly helpful, apart from a few nice graphs, I guess, on the screen that people can look at and go, I did that. Because the thing is, the truth is, at this stage, we're only really considering one element of the living annuity benefit, and that is the income benefit. 
you also have to consider what happens to my lump sum over time because it's actually an ex a potential death benefit. So you actually have two benefits in a living annuity. You've got this income benefit that we're all trying to generate, and then we've got um, this death benefit. Just a, a point I forgot to make on the, the income benefit. If you are able to get away with an initial drawdown rate of less than the 5.2% that I've put on there, it means that actually you should largely be okay. You're expected to be okay. But for anything above 5.2%, at some point there is a chance that you could cap out. And while the 85% probability of making it with a 6% drawdown rate seems reasonable, it's probably not that reasonable for the 15% um, that do end up making it. Okay, so let's look at the death benefit. So this is the profile of the expected death benefit that you might get for the uh, maximum equivalent initial drawdown rate of 5.2%. And you'll see that it starts off at a million rand, that's the initial investment, and it grows fairly rapidly to um, just over 5 million in the, in the hundreds. So it's quite a big benefit. And in fact, because of that, I, on a different scale then showed for the, for the other um, death benefits or potential death benefits that you'd get for the different um, drawdown rates that you select. Uh, this is the one for the 6%, the one for the 7.5%, and the one for the initial drawdown rates of 17.5%. And what you can see is the, um, the, the more that you basically give to your income benefit, the, the lower that your expected death benefit ends up being, and that's, I guess, intuitive, obvious, choose a word. This is them all on the same scale, and you can see that if you, if you are drawing down income at a level that enables you to sustain it, you're actually basically just allocating money to, to a, death, a potential death benefit. So what's useful about this is once we are able to um, separate out the two component parts, we can place an expected value on each of them. So instead of just having graphs that show what things are, we actually distill it into a, a single present value number. Um, and this enables us then to make some calls on the relative value of allocating capital to an income benefit and allocating capital to a death benefit. I mean, this is probably is all fairly intuitive, but I'm not convinced that we've ever thought about it quite in this way. So I'll start off with my maximum equivalent initial drawdown rate, the 5.2%, and that gives us the 52,000 Rand um, starting income. And we see that the, the value, the, pre the expected present value of this income stream using all of the assumptions is 570,000, uh, just over 570,000 Rand. Effectively, in effect, what this means is of the original 1 million Rand that we had to invest, I've, I've selected a drawdown rate that's sustainable until I die. And what I've done is I've actually allocated the expected value of 570,000 to the income benefit, which means the 430,000 Rand that's left behind is funding the death benefit that we saw in some of the previous slides. So it's quite a meaningful way, I think, to start thinking, geez, did I really want to allocate 43% of my initial investment at retirement into um, to a death benefit? Uh, um, so I think it's interesting anyway. So I looked at the numbers then for all of the other um, profiles that are, that are modeled. The 6% um, the drawdown and the, um, the value there, 655,000 uh, Rand. 
for the 7.5% initial drawdown, 762,000 Rand, let's say, and then for the uh, maximum uh, initial drawdown rate, 875,000 Rand. So even where I'm trying to maximize everything from an income point of view, I'm still leaving 125,000 Rand allocated to an expected death benefit. Plus, uh, even if I start thinking about the fact now that I can start thinking in terms of value, allocating some of my value to an income benefit and some to a death benefit, another thing that we might want as a, a, a retirement, um, a, a, man, a member in retirement, is I might want a benefit that never starts decreasing, that always keeps pace with whatever my expected um, increased assumption is. And we can see here that even if I decide to allocate um, less than, more than the, the, the 570,000 Rand to the income benefit, let's say the 655,000, I'm still going to get an income benefit stream that, that at some point caps out and starts reducing. So actually what we might want to do is start thinking about some alternative benefit designs that, that we can use to, to model better outcomes, I think. So what I did was I then considered uh, three different options. And basically what these do is, is they just make a play on the death benefit um, to try and emulate a little bit this whole argument around um, leaving a legacy for your dependents, for your surviving beneficiaries. So the first one I looked at was an initial amount of a million rand, which increases at 6% per annum for the first 10 years, and then it reduces to zero. So, I mean, it's a bit of a thumb suck, and there's a lot of experimentation that we can do on these alternatives. I've just used three to, to, try, and, to try and land a few points. So let's see if I'm successful at doing that. Part of this is the thinking here is that actually to convert into an annuity at 65, I've got an annuity factor of around 10. So I expect after 10 years that my money would have actually been eaten up in some way, used up in some way. Um, and and this, this whole concept of starting off with, okay, a benefit that's now increasing in line with what my living annuity would do, that's a 6% option. Then I said, well, actually, maybe you're not interested in the 6% increase. All I want is my 1 million rand back. I put my million rand down and I get my million rand back for the first 10 years and thereafter I get nothing. And then the third option is similar, I guess, to um, like a guarantee period. It assumes that there's a 10-year guarantee period. There's a straight line depreciation every year by 100,000 Rand to zero over the first 10 years. What I also do is I create a, a kind of like a pooled environment in which I can manage, I guess, some of these risks, or at least I can put a value on all of these different risks um, and use what... It, so, so I've got now... I can, and I can create an expected value for the death benefits and then I can model the income profile that we'd expect to get. And... I've labeled this thing a pooled annuity because this is the thing that I'm going to generate the, the income from, income with. So when we start off, we've got this first example of the increasing death benefit. So you can see it starts off increasing a little bit like that uh, living annuity benefit, and then it drops off to, to nothing after 10 years. And what we can see is that the expected value of that death benefit under, these assumption, under this assumption set is a little under 300,000 Rand. So what we've done is, is we've reduced the amount with this example of capital that we're allocating, expected capital we're allocating to the death benefit from 430,000 Rand to 300,000 Rand, um, which means that we've got an extra 130,000 that we can allocate to, a death, to the income benefit. And then we model the pooling, and what that does is it says 
that we can increase the, um, the income that we're going to get relative to my baseline of the maximum equivalent initial drawdown rate um, by, by around 23%. So, so the starting point, now I'm going to reduce the um, death benefits in the later example so we can see this, this impact of allocating less to death and more to, to the income. So then I also thought, well, what happens if I start off with an initial drawdown rate in my living annuity of 6.3% or 6.4% um, to see what would happen? And we see that we cap our chair um, at 88, age 88, and there's a, excuse me, a 31% chance of that happening. So even if I decide now I want to allocate less to my death benefit in the, and more to the income benefit, to try and do that in a living annuity, I'm still going to have this constraint, this maximum drawdown rate that's going to negatively impact the, the benefits that I'm going to get. So these are then just the follow-up pictures for the, the other examples. Here I'm allocating less to the death benefit, so only 220,000 rand is allocated, which means 780 is allocated to the income benefit, which means that we can now raise the, um, the income relative to my maximum equivalent uh, drawdown rate uh, by around 37%. And the final example where we, uh, sorry, apologies. Um, again, we see the impact of the, 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 this higher, if we were to select this higher um, initial drawdown rate in the living annuity, you're going you're gonna to cap out, you're going to cap out earlier. And the final um, example just shows the, the kind of lowest value that has been allocated to a death benefit, my straight line depreciation, it's about 110,000 Rand, um, which interestingly is lower than that, the 125 that we had in the maximum initial drawdown rate. And what we see here is that uh, we've got this 780,000 sorry, 890,000 that we can allocate to the, to the income benefit, which is a 56% enhancement to what we would have got um, under just the maximum equivalence initial drawdown rate. So what does um, all of this stuff actually mean for us in the end? Some concluding perspectives, so we had the last slide. Yay. Um, for post-retirement investing, there's, for me, a big disconnect between what it is that we actually what we need and what we want. And what's quite important up front is to establish what it is that we, that we actually need. Because this enables us to now try and allocate money between the, the, the income and the death benefit component um, of, your, of your living annuity. What's an interesting, I guess, outcome from the, the research that I did is that there is no way to maximize your um, expected income benefits in a living annuity um, using a, new, a living annuity construct. There's a whole lot of reasons for doing, using a living annuity, but if, you, if your intention or objective is to maximize your income, then you actually need some kind of a pooled annuity that says we can allocate everything to the expected income benefit. We're able to consider the relative uh, value of, of the two benefit components, but the living annuity structure at the moment doesn't really give us a lot of room to play with some of the desirable elements that we might want like a benefit that never ends up capping out and decreasing. So my two concluding comments would be, I think we need to consider um, the advice that we give around living annuities to try and factor in some of these components. 
And I definitely think that what we should be doing is designing better solutions for people when they retire. And that's it. Thank you. I'm now going to hand over to, to my more technical colleague over here, uh, John, and he can, he can take us through the, the second paper that he presented.